Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Sunday, August 30th, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman here on this Sunday. Coming at you with today's show, it's brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag right now for your exclusive sign-up bonus. Well, Celtics take care of business in game one. It is an absolute shocker to me. I'm sure to a lot of you as well as the Seas take a one nothing lead on the Toronto Raptors in the Eastern Conference semifinals. 112-94, your final from the bubble in Orlando. And with that, we welcome you into the Celtics beat. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman here on today's show. Joined by the Athletics and CNN Philippines, Jared Weiss. Jared. Uh, gotta tell you, uh, before we even get to any of this stuff, um, I'm happy that, uh, we have basketball back on the air after some things that, um, are really, really important. And, and the shutdown, the strike that the NBA players put on, uh, to refocus this country was, I thought, a really important thing. Um, I'm glad that things have been done, uh, but it's good to see basketball back on the floor. And it's good to be, good to be joined by you here on this, uh, late night here on Sunday. We got the, the uh the the nuggets in the uh in the in the jazz going into halftime here i appreciate you joining me on today's show but uh i, I it was nice to sit down at one o'clock in the afternoon refocused up and you saw a refocused Celtics team go uh you know pretty much wire to wire i think it was wire to wire just uh all 48 minutes a big win over the raptors in game one they haven't trailed the raptors since they got to orlando and uh first off you're welcome that I was willing to miss the mtv music video awards for you yeah um, i mean it's a big deal that's Which I haven't cool. watched since I was like 12 years old. Also, I have no affiliation with CNN Philippines, but I do enjoy you introducing me that way anyway. And then to actually get to the basketball part of it, uh, yeah, what the hell? This was supposed <laughs> to be this incredible battle of the wits between Nick and Nurse and Brad Stevens. And the Celtics just dramatically outschemed the Raptors. It was kind of crazy. Yeah, there's a lot to get to with this game too, just in terms of like who did what, who did who, who was who was great, who wasn't great, et cetera, et cetera. But the big thing is, you know, you you think maybe with a couple of days the, the layoff, you know, Boston and, and Toronto haven't played in a long time. They both swept their first round series. Toronto taking care of business with the Nets, and then you have of course the Celtics taking care of Philadelphia in four games, uh, plus the, the the strike, a couple of days off, some more. Um, Boston comes out on all cylinders. 
Uh, everybody was, you know, the ball's moving well. They're moving up down the floor really well. They're closing out in defense. Toronto just couldn't recover after the first onslaught that Boston gave them. And it was, a, you know, a myriad of players. Jalen Brown started things off, I thought, pretty well for Boston. But, you know, on the offensive side of the floor, I thought they were too much for for the uh, the Raptors to handle. And then the defensive side of the floor, they were locked in. They were closing out. They got back in transition for the most part. Though Brad talked about being better at that for game two, which, you know, of course, Brad got, you know, dumped cold water and everything. But, you know, this is a pretty – Dominant win, and and Boston is now four and one against Toronto this season. Uh, they have absolutely wiped the floor with the Raptors in the two games they've played inside the bubble. I believe in the 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 play in or the I guess the the, the rest of the regular season. Uh, Boston, I think in that game was up what forty points in that game at one point, and now they blow the doors off of Toronto in this one. I mean, it, you know, I, again, we'll get to specifics in a second, but you know, if you're looking for momentum here, Boston seems to have a decent amount of it as we had in the game too, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Nick nurse mentioned some stuff about whether the guys were into it, uh, kind of referring to the fact that like Fred Van Vliet and Norm Powell were the ones that kickstarted the whole walkout concept and that they're all very dismayed. I mean, the Celtics were at the same position and you know, like it's not like that was something unique to them. So the fact that the Celtics look so much better prepared and so much more engaged coming into it was really really like surprising um although obviously i guess that's kind of on the coaching staff to be able to try to get the players engaged and obviously each player is going to handle the situation differently um and not to denigrate whether or not it's you know uh whether or not the whole social justice movement is important and whether or not you should be devastated by what's happening the past week but like you know we're, we're playing basketball again and we're going to hold them to the standard of the nba playoffs and the raptors just showed up not really ready and the Celtics, they had a very clear game plan from the beginning that they really wanted to induce Toronto into their pinches that they do on the perimeter where whenever the team tries to drive through the three-point line, the Raptors will really aggressively send over help and try to stop really up high at the point of attack, really even higher than the Celtics do. And the Celtics are a team that likes to help out a lot. And Toronto, they're super aggressive with it. They like to run teams out with all their closeouts. So they'll, when they close out to a shooter, they fly past that shooter and they're going to rotate to help, which I frankly don't agree with, but they do a pretty incredible job at it. So they're like one of the most aggressive defenses we've ever seen. And they're, because they're so disciplined and because they keep working, they keep getting super aggressive, then cycling, cycling in the next person to help, and they just keep cycling through that over and over so that people are always just kind of continuously scrambling. And Stevens found a way to work around that, and the Celtics were just kind of tearing them apart very early on. Yeah, and you saw, I saw what was cool was a lot of people, um, you know, with the – the, the beauty of advanced analytics and, and just people loving the NBA. You just have a bunch of good content coming out like as soon as after the game's over. And there were several charts that I thought were really interesting about, you know, the Celtics exposing uh, the, the Raptors defense in the corners and just killing them over and over and over and over again in the corners from three point range. What smart had, had what four or five threes in the corner? Just, five, uh, five for five. Seven in the corner. Yeah. I mean that's that's gonna that's gonna win you a basketball game if we get one guy that gets hot, uh, one guy can change uh, the whole outcome of a game just by the geometry of the floor, right? Because Boston wants to make you go here, it, it weakens up another area for Boston to attack and maybe in and uh, to to expose. I thought it was just again, I'm just overall just shocked because I I, I have a ginormous amount of respect for Toronto and and Nick Nurse, that whole staff, a lot of the guys on that roster and. 
you know, to, to have the Boston has had their way with, with Toronto in this bubble. And I, and I just can't honestly believe it because I, I just think this, this Toronto team is so well coached. They're so well uh, up and down the roster. They're, they're really good at, um, you know, low turnovers. They, they shoot the ball really well. They play great defense. They play with effort. They play with, they hustle all the time. They're just a really smart team. They have a lot of like high end. They, they're just, it's a really well put together basketball team. And between the first two games here, I just don't really understand what's going on in terms of just like the overall, I, I doesn't seem like it's that big of a talent discrepancy, but Boston has really helped had their way with them. And it's been a couple of guys, Jalen Brown, the beginning part of the game uh, was terrific. You had uh, Tatum late, you know, third quarter. Of course, he has that ridiculous buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter. He has that uh, at the end of the shot clock, I believe it's in the second half, where he's dribbling and, and, and Doris Burke's talking about Time Lord and the t- clock, shot clock's expiring and Tatum hits a pull-up 30-footer with a sidestep and, you know, he has that stuff late. And you have Kemba, like, sprinkled in between. This, this team right now, has seemed, in my opinion, Jared, has seemed to figure out who they are, right? We've, I've heard this all over podcasting and, and media throughout the past couple of days, past couple of weeks of teams figuring out who they are. I think Boston has a really good idea of like, okay, we have three very potent offensive scorers. They're going to lead us most of the way. We need guys like Marcus Smart to have a good game. You have you need opportunities where Daniel Tice and Robert Williams combined for 23 points and 20 rebounds. It, but those three guys were just, I think, too much for, for Toronto to handle in game one, in my opinion. Well, it's funny because, I mean, I picked the Raptors to win this series. Same. I picked them in six. Uh, I picked them in seven and a half. But nice. um, uh, what do you call it? The So I've been saying this whole time that if the Celtics are going to beat the Raptors and get to the conference finals and maybe even get to the finals, that they need all their best players to be playing their absolute best every single night. And frankly, tonight, Jalen and Jason were good, but they weren't great. You know, Kemba and Smart were the great ones in this game. So the fact that they killed the Raptors with Kyle Lowry being healthy and playing solid, I mean, he had a solid stat line, but he did not look like no. quite like normal Kyle Lowry out there. And he didn't even really get thrown into the attack until late in the game when they were already kind of getting blown out. And he helped them chip back away in the early fourth quarter, but it was too late at that point. And the Celtics hit back, and then it was over, uh, you know, with half a, half a quarter left. But so... The fact is, is that the Celtics are winning more easily than I thought they would. And it's, <laughs> I guess we'll know after game two. I mean, if, if they do this again after game two, they immediately leap to like even favorites to win the title at this point. Um, you know, I'd say the Bucks and the LA teams are probably still a little bit favored over them, but they are, they go from the potential Cinderella upset team to like a legitimate favorite. And not just because like, yeah, obviously they're up to nothing in the semis. So it's most likely they are going to be one of the final four teams left, but the dichotomy of how I project them would absolutely change because we saw them kick the Sixers ass, but the Sixers were a terrible team. Yeah. And now we're seeing them going up against Toronto and I mean, I, I just did this roundtable preview over on The Athletic where uh, all it was with uh, Blake Murphy and Eric Kareen mm-hmm. from Toronto yeah. and Jay King from Boston, and we all were we all did our, like, what's the, what's the Raptors X factor? What's, like, the big thing for them? And we all literally said Pascal Siakam, what are the different ways that he can dominate so that he can holistically dominate, you know, be like a 30 and 15 guy? And Pascal yeah. Siakam was the worst player on the floor for most of this game. And... Yeah. Part a big part of that was that for some crazy reason Nick Nurse decided to turn turn him into a post up player, and he's never been that good of a post up player, especially against the Celtics, who have Jalen Brown, who's done a good job defending him in the post, and then Shemi Ojale, who's a good matchup against him in the post. So 
they completely, for some reason, Nick Nick Nurse used Pascal Siakam like he just got Pascal Siakam yesterday and has no idea how to use him, which I just don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. They went away from everything that has worked so well. In the only game that Siakam played before the uh, seeding games against the Celtics, they were using him running pick and roll, where he was running pick and roll with a guard or he was getting some isolation opportunities, and he was making it rain from downtown. He was flying to the rim. He was killing in transition. He had over 30 points. He was incredible in that game. And they just went away from everything that works with him, and it made absolutely no sense. And I assume that if Nurse goes to what obviously we know works with Siakam and something that the Celtics will have a lot of trouble covering with Siakam, then that definitely could flip things. But... I mean, there has to be an overhaul to the way that the Raptors approach the series after seeing how their usual guard-led pick-and-roll attack, uh, Boston's long defense, just like smothered it to bits. Yeah, you have Van Vliet and Lowry did not play well in this game. They both shot the ball horrifically. I mean, Van Vliet was, at the end, caught a little bit of fire, had a couple of steals, but for the most part was a non-factor offensively. You know, he does give you a lot of the a lot of the hustle plays that you like to see, but... You know, Lowry as well could, you know, wasn't his normal stuff. I was wondering, let me, you know, I was curious with this one just because early on refs had a quick whistle. You know, you have Toronto kind of got in their own heads. And it just, I, I, for some reason, I think maybe the, the early foul trouble they found themselves in kind of hurt them a little bit. I think Siakam had three pretty quick. I think Gasol had three pretty quick. They swip, swapped Gasol for Ibaka. Ibaka's a couple threes, gets him back into it a little bit. But it was, it was I was good. just. Yeah, but it was just like that early foul trouble that I, you always want to, you know, stay out of just because you're, you're going up against a team in Boston that's just got a lot of depth in the wings. And, you you know, you have, uh, you know, one of your best players, you know, Siakam, you know, is, is playing tentatively because he's in foul trouble. Makes things tough. I agree. I didn't understand the whole Siakam on the post thing either, especially because Boston, you know, they just played a series with Joel Embiid who – you know, is a post monster and is just a problem for a lot of teams in the post. And Boston, I think, did a really good job sending help at the right times. So they're kind of already used to playing someone who's, you know, a team that wants to focus on playing in the post. So the way that they send their help, you know, whether it's on the catch or they wait a dribble or two, just throw the guy off the rhythm, I thought was really, is, is really great. I think they're just playing right in the Celtics' hands because you talk about Jalen Brown, Shemi Ojale, or if it's Marcus Smart, all three of those guys are terrific post defenders. Like Marcus Smart is really tough to move off his spot when he gets in the post. And you talk about Jalen Brown, he's athletic. He's added some muscle on, obviously, throughout his time. Shemi, you don't have to say anything. When you talk to Drew Hamlin about Shemi, you know, they told jokingly, but sort of seriously, they told Shemi when he went to his uh, his combine workout to wear no, no shirt because he was just so ripped at the point. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it's the, uh, you know, the uh, the the foreman of the, the Ojale factory, obviously, but. You know, I'm, I'm still just a little stunned. I would have hoped for a game two. It's, I mean, I don't hope for anything. I, was, I hope that uh, Boston blows them out in four games, but I would, I would hope to see in game two some, some different things. Uh, but Boston on the flip side, just to give Boston some credit here, you know, they turned the ball over 23 times in this game and won by 20. That's still pretty remarkable. So here, here's why. And somebody asked Brad Stevens after the game how, uh, you know, Toronto has this famed, uh, scoring off a turnover ability, which when you look at the numbers, they're really good at it, but they're not, they're not like, they don't destroy teams with it necessarily like you would expect. Um, but so Brad was asked about, 
hey, you turned it over 23 times, but the Raptors only had seven fast break points. Why do you think that is? Was it your good transition defense? And no, it, it wasn't that. It was, you know, it, Steven said that it's probably not true that the stat's probably misleading because there's probably a bunch of early offense or reset into half-court offense stuff that those numbers didn't pick up. But it turned out I went back into the tape and I went into the into the actual turnover breakdown numbers. It turned out that the Raptors only forced 10 live ball turnovers. So 13 of those were dead ball turnovers. So offensive fouls, travels, stupid passes out of bounds, fumbled balls out of bounds, stuff like that. Most of which were just the Celtics messing up and, you know, playing under the pressure of the Toronto defense for sure, but not like actual breakups caused by Toronto. But then when you dissect those 10, um, those 10 live ball turnovers, Four of those were also just caused by unforced errors where Celtics players just dribbled the ball off of their foot or threw just like a dumb pass or fumbled a catch or whatever. So in reality, Toronto only forced six turnovers that were like legitimately forced live ball turnovers that they could go into transition on. And then they only, I think they scored on four of those possessions. Um, oh no, it was, it was just four, four of the total 10 live ball turnover possessions, yeah. not even necessarily four of those six forced live ball turnover possessions. So it's all to say that while the Celtics turned it over a ton and they were really sloppy, and so it's amazing that they won by so much just because their offense was like pretty sloppy on their own merit, they didn't really present too many opportunities for Toronto to actually capitalize off of them. Yeah, it's impressive, and it's a testament to, again, I'm getting back, but you know, you look at the numbers, and I think that's – that explains it all. A lot of those went out of bounds in Boston, an opportunity to set up their defense. And when they do, you know, this is nothing new. I don't think for anybody that's watched the Celtics over the past couple of years, they've been a really, you know, staunch defensive team. And this is a team that has a lot of bodies that can throw at Toronto, especially off of the wing. And, and, you know, for them to be able to get back into their defense, those 20 turnovers don't turn them, you know, to kill them as much. I'm sure Brad is going to obviously uh, reiterate ball security, uh, you know, the next day or two as they get ready for game two. Real quick break, though, as we uh, talk about the playoffs. So there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive betting partner, uh, betonline.ag. Sports are, are all the way back at this point. You got UFC, NASCAR, soccer. You have you have uh, NBA playoffs right now. You have the NHL playoffs right now. Football's coming up. Baseball, you know, trade deadline's going crazy. The, the San Diego Padres are making like a million deals. They're going to try to win a World Series, which I'm really excited about. Uh, but, you know, we always talk about NBA futures on this particular show. And I want to just bring something up that betonline.ag has done. Uh, if you go to their site right now, they have NBA specials on it, which I think is really great. Um, and underneath NBA specials, the Philadelphia 76ers have their own tab for next head coach. I think is amazing. And then you go down to will Al Horford be back? Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Will Simmons and Embiid be both back next season? Yes is minus 800. Uh, no is plus 425. So if you want to get on that action, maybe the, uh, the Sixers have to trade one of their best players. Maybe definitely possible. Maybe, maybe the new coach comes in and tries to give him a shot. We'll see, but put your money where their mouth is. You need more? Betonline.ag has simulated NFL games and we'll have actual NFL games come up shortly. NBA, UFC happening every day. Look for something else other than sports. Betonline.ag has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. You actually can customize your own props. Visit betonline.ag today. Use your mobile device. Enjoy now to receive your new welcome bonus. Start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Evan Valenti, alongside what has to be the best flow in Jared Weiss's history, 
He has the 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 Kaliolinic. I don't. Did you take the, the the headband off? I can't tell anymore. But it looks like it's it's gone. But he's got a hair clip holding his hair all the way back. He is in full quarantine mode. Jared Weiss of the Athletic. I got as as a fellow guy who has let his hair grow. I am in awe of what you have going on right now, my friend. I had a little. I had my ex girlfriend's hair elastic on, uh, which uh, I found under my sink recently. But my head awesome. is too. My head's too swollen, full of empty space that even that like eventually kind of rolls off, and so I can't even. If anyone out there knows of a giant head elastic that can fit loosely around a man's head uh, without popping off, please let me know. I'm very desperately looking for one. Yeah, we were talking about earlier with the headband is now pivotal, actually necessary for either whether if you play basketball at all or Peloton rides or whatever the hell we're doing. It's just the 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 pros of growing your hair out is is just looks awesome, but the, the cons are sweat gets in your face constantly. It's terrible. Um, but back here after game one, Celtics win over the Raptors and one one uh, zero lead over the Raptors. And as you look towards the rest of the series, Jared, obviously you know, you're, you have Nick Nurse on the other side. He's a brilliant coach. I mean, just one coach of the year. Uh, he's done a really great job with his team. And you got to expect some some changes coming from Nick Nurse. I do love how often they'll go to weird, you know, not just at zones like box and ones or triangle and twos. And they do a lot of really weird things. And I'm just curious what, what Nurse has got in store for the Celtics next game because you know he's going to try and find ways to, to get his guys back in the right track. And as you look forward, like obviously Pascal Siakam is going to have to be a focal point what they're going to do with him. They have to find a way to get Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lyle comfortable because, you know, Boston's backcourt between Smart and – and Kemba, um, and you actually brought this up during uh, the game, and then somebody else, I think Chris Forsberg had an article about it later, because Kemba Walker is actually much better defensively than he gets a lot of credit for. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, he's a good defender. It's <laughs> People call him a bad defender because he was small, and ask, ask the fans in Toronto what size means for defense. Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, two of the best defenders at their position in the NBA. And you know, because Kemba is is small, people assume that he wouldn't be good. Um, and to to be fair, in Charlotte, he you know never really had to play much defense. And Charlotte was never good enough that anybody really cared or noticed if he was playing good defense. Which which is funny because I asked him a question about uh, early in the season, back when we used to interview people in real life. Um, I asked him a question about something like. Uh, has playing with the Celtics this year motivated you to be more active and involved on defense? And he looked at me, he's like, come on, man, I thought I was pretty good at defense before. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think he was, I'm pretty sure he was joking. But, you know, he does the puppy dog guys, so you can never quite tell yeah. if he's serious or not. But, yeah, he he tries hard, for one, which is, like, the big thing. You You have to try hard without mm-hmm. overrunning and then consistently try throughout the possession, finish the possession, play through the whistle, as they call it. And I made the comparison to Kyrie. Kyrie Irving could defend on, like, a single action pretty well because mm-hmm. he's, you know, 6'3", he's a good athlete, he's really smart. And then he would just take the rest of the playoff. There would be a, He would aggressively try to track a point guard. Then he would get hip checked off of a pick and roll, and then he would just stop and watch the rest of his team defend four on five. And he did it every play in the playoffs last year in the second round against Milwaukee. He went completely rogue and like broke the system, and they got destroyed by Milwaukee. If Kyrie, Clear out. I got Giannis, man. He's taking Giannis. It's not. A, it's not a mismatch at all whatsoever. I remember when I saw him doing that. I remember tweeting something like, 
this is this is how I know I had Stockholm syndrome and yeah. my trying to defend and see the silver lining on Kyrie Irving was that yeah. I I saw him doing that and I said maybe what Kyrie Irving is trying to do is he knows that they can't contain Giannis, so he's trying to put really strong pressure at the point of attack to funnel him into Horford who can get the stop ten you know kind of in the mid range area. And I was thinking, like, that actually makes some sense because if you know you can't get a stop on Giannis and he's going to get penetration anyway, then, yeah, you might as well throw your worst defender at him so that you have good defenders all around him who could come and help. So it did make sense from that standpoint. But then at a certain point I realized Kyrie's just doing this because he just wants to go crazy and just do whatever he can. He doesn't give a shit anymore. He's just trying to do whatever he can to make an impact without any regard for whether it fits into a system. He's playing solo ball in a five on five game. Basically Kemba's the opposite. Kemba fits into his role really well. He chases guys over screens and then keeps chasing them. He doesn't just jump out of the play the way Kyrie did the way Rondo did once he stopped giving a crap about being a great defender. You know, a lot of people don't realize that Rondo who was like legitimately one of the greatest defenders in NBA history from like 2009 to 2011 or 12 or so. And then after the 2012 playoffs, he literally decided I'm going to be the worst defender of all time. He was genuinely one (laughs) of the worst, one of the worst defenders in NBA history. After that, he would just try to swipe from behind for a steal. Then just watch the rest of the play. And Russell Westbrook did that all the time. Um, Kyrie did it too. And Kemba is so committed to being a part of the system. He executes his role, which is as a point guard, you just chase over the screen and you keep chasing. And if you switch, you try to fight to front the guy that's bigger than you so they can't pass it into him and they have to pass it away from the hoop to be able to get it to him. And then you communicate and he does that. And you see it on both ends. Kemba's all about fitting into the system. You know, making the play when it's his turn to make the play and communicating. And that's why he is so, he, he is a better player than Kyrie Irving. Kemba Walker is better than Kyrie Irving. This is what people just, they didn't get at the beginning and they probably, maybe they get it now. It doesn't matter that Kyrie scores 30 a game while Kemba, I, you know, before he was in Boston, scores 25 a game. Who gives a shit about those five points? Kyrie Irving gives up 15 points on the other end a game. Right. Or more than that, but he gives up 15 points more than Kemba Walker does. Kyrie Irving, you cannot have a great defense with Kyrie Irving on the floor. And we saw it last year where the Celtics were really good defensively throughout the year, even in spite of him being on the floor a lot of the time. But then when they got to the playoffs and things got real, their defense completely fell apart, while their defense tonight was like some of the best defense we've ever seen. So, yeah, yeah, Kemba allows you to have a great defense at a championship level, which Kyrie just does not give you, get you even close to it. So you're telling me you're not expecting a absolute collapse after winning game one like we saw last year with Milwaukee? You think that Boston can maybe hang a, a little bit more in this series with Toronto? Uh, unless Kemba goes rogue. Also, I don't think yeah. so. I don't and think be, so. And, and because Toronto does not have anyone that looks like they're going to you know, thwart the Celtics the way that Giannis did. I yeah, mean, last have... year it was – you had Middleton who was going crazy. That would have been enough. But then you had Giannis playing at his absolute peak. So, yeah, I mean, it could happen. They could get crushed in the next round if they if they make it there, which sounds fairly likely at this point. But no, I don't think I don't expect Siakam to have do a complete one eighty and destroy the Celtics coming up. He might finally play well, but it's pretty clear that the Celtics know how to attack him. Yeah, the Kemba point I, I I like a lot. Just the defensive stuff and what that allows you to do because you know you go past and you know the past with 
Celtics point guards in the playoffs. You're looking at Isaiah Thomas, who, you know, Boston literally had to play zone against the Chicago Bulls to make him not be a total non-factor on the defensive end, or at least uh, somebody that they just would go retarget routinely. Um, and then Kyrie Irving, who, you know, we all know isn't the best defender. A, a guy in Kemba Walker who really tries – and, and as you said, you know, tracks the ball very well and he go tries to fight through screens. He, you know, he had that charge he picked up in the game where he having a guess right and took a charge right into the chest, right in front of the cup, which was really great. Um, and then you look at him on the offensive side of the ball and he just looks like old Kevin Walker again. I mean, that knee doesn't to me again, I, you know, could meet somebody else, but to me, I don't think it looks like it's a problem at all. I know he put, maybe had a Charlie horse. Miller game, it made uh, people thought it was knee to knee. Some people thought it was knee to leg um, with Siakam, I think. And and it was, you know, a little troubling at first because, you know, you look at Kemba and you're just like, I, Boston's entire playoff hopes rely, you know, or, or at least uh, are very uh, heavily committed to, you know, a healthy Kemba Walker being able to survive the entire playoffs without tweaking that knee again. And again, the one thing that I was worried about with Kemba coming back to this bubble and not playing this team for a very long time was him figuring out when it's his time to take over a game because you, you know, certain guys, I mean, you saw it with especially the, the game after Dallas and the Clippers when Kawhi's in the bench, Dallas makes a run towards the end of the third quarter. All of a sudden doc goes and gets Kawhi. I think it was, they were down like 20 something. And then they got to single digits, got to six points at one point, And then doc and goes, gets Kawhi. Kawhi comes off the bench and the game's over. So you guys know when to take over, but you know, with this team, Tatum's emergence in the middle of February, March, you know, was, was a big thing. Brown has been one of the most, if not the most consistent player on the Celtics from the first big game of the season and has emerged as a really unbelievable score, especially, you know, as a guy in transition who's impossible to stop. But the thing with Kemba for me was, you know, figuring out when he needs to make his imprint in the game. And offensively, again, I don't know what you're seeing, Jared. I, w- I would assume that we're in similar, you know, stature here, that Kemba's Kemba's knee looks fine. His, his north-south, you know, running looks fantastic. He cuts still really well. That that his, his shot is falling uh, at, you know, he looks like the old Kemba Walker again. Yeah, I mean every everything that they said this whole time leading up to the playoffs about how we think he's going to be fine and we're going to take the slow process so that he does get there, and then the public was going, "Oh no, he's ruined." <laughs> I remember, I remember people tweeting me that the Kemba Walker contract's going to be a dud because he's got a knee injury, and it's like, well, for one, the public's very stupid, and sorry, public, but you guys are all idiots, uh, yeah. and you overreact to everything, and you can't process anything, uh, which is why we exist. Um, it's true. Media wouldn't exist if uh, the public was capable of processing things. Or I should say, yeah. uh, analysis-based media would not be. It's only news reporting. Uh, but so yeah, so we were there to process the reality. And Kemba Walker slowly and slowly and slowly ramped up, got to the playoffs. It looked great. Tweaked his knee in this game, was hobbling for a minute or two, came back out and crushed it. <laughs> he continued to dominate after he tweaked his knee on uh, stumbling through uh, Siakam in the second quarter, I think. So, yeah, Kemba is continuing to play great. Kemba is continuing to show that he's a great playmaker on top of being a great scorer. And his passing has been almost as valuable as his actual scoring. But then we saw late in the game when Toronto was hitting back and they could have collapsed and it could have turned into a tight game at the end. Kemba started coming down in transition. They were giving him really high ball screens. He was exploding through them, hitting the brakes as hard as possible and pulling up for three and burying it. I mean, this guy... Whenever he senses that the heat is on, 
that's when he goes and that's where he turns his rhythm on and he gets into these pull-up shots. He gets into his bag. You see him break it out. And, you know, and it's not like going back to Kyrie. It's not like Kyrie or Kyrie wanted isolation in those moments. Kemba wants to flow into early offense, high pick and rolls. He wants to drive and kick really hard in those situations. He wants to make quick plays and just seize control rather than get to put on a show. And that's why they're winning. Yeah, I agree with that. The last thing I, I kind of want to bring up, because this is something in terms of you look at the first game, you look at it, and you kind of process maybe how it's going to work out. I am not going to lie. I'm a little shocked at how well Boston handled Gasol and Ibaka in comparison to how Toronto handled Tyson and the Time Lord, Robert Williams. I mean, I thought – I mean – Tice has been really solid this entire season. I, I, I my Tice uh, takes from earlier this year are awful, and I will admit that I was so anti-Tice at the beginning of the season, and I'm fully uh, happy that I was totally wrong about that. But I was just I'm shocked that the 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 Toronto Bigs. I mean, I know Boston just played two in Al Horford and Joel Embiid, who present their own matchup problems. But you know, Gasol's high IQ type of player. Um, you know, a little bit older, sure, but still a, a, a decent defender. Uh, and Abaka's, you know, three point prowess is, was on display fully. And he's, you know, still fairly athletic, still long, obviously, can play defense still. And it's a guy that's been there. Gasol's a vet. You know, those guys don't get rattled at all. But I was thoroughly surprised at how, by how much they got outplayed by Boston's two bigs and, and Tyson and Williams. Did that shock you at all? Not really, because, I mean, I love Marcus Ole, and when he was in his prime, he was one of my favorite guys to watch in the league. But I mean, this season he he's aged, and not surprising. I mean, he's thirty five now, but he barely ever really shoots the ball anymore. Um, his I'm trying to see if his assists actually declined this year. Yeah, his assists started to decline this year. He used to be in the mid fours, now he's in the low threes. His involvement in the offense is getting lower and lower, and then on defense. He was always a little bit sluggish on his rotations, but he was so brilliant that he would do it early and he would take the right angle so that he didn't have to he didn't have to really kind of oversell to make the rotation. He put himself in the right position. But we saw in this game he was a little slow on some of these rotations. There were a bunch of plays where the Celtics were able to actually take advantage of the fact that they were getting him into compromised positions, and then they were able to force somebody else to rotate and help. And we saw that on that on the very first play where he did a great they did a great job where they did a handoff to Kemba way up top, like against the sideline, thirty feet out, somewhere where they usually don't run that kind of action. And Gasol did an amazing job of trying to get his hand in front of the handoff to try to deflect it. And then immediately sliding with Kemba Walker as the, as the Raptors are trying to blitz that screen. So he he shows that he still is a brilliant defender, but because of that, because he was so aggressive there, because they don't want him defending in open space as much, they want him to be closer so that he's just able to be right on top of the ball. Uh, because of that, Daniel Tice was able to get a wide-open cut Kemba Walker fed him the pass, and that forced Ananobi to be the one guy to crash into the lane and try to stop Tice. And when that happened, that opened up Marcus Smart for a wide-open three. And that's how the Raptors were exposed, getting exposed by the Celtics, and the Celtics were able to find these corner three-point shots. And we saw a bunch of plays in this game where Marcus Gasol kind of got caught in no man's land a few times, and that opened up that corner three for the Celtics, and Marcus Smart buried it. So... 
you know, the way that they're utilizing Gasol, they're not using Gasol to get huge stops at the rim that much. I think Ibaka does that a little bit more. And frankly, Ibaka's rim defense isn't even that imposing anymore like he no. used to be either. He's not quite the same guy. Um, and he's he's a good role man, but not a great role man. He's an okay finisher, but he's not a great finisher. He just doesn't really have much touch. His his impact is really that he can attack from the perimeter and he could shoot pretty well. And he shot really well in this game. And that was like his early shooting, he hit those two threes, yeah. I think, in the first or second quarter. That was like the only offense that they had at all, period, uh, in the beginning of the game. If it weren't for those shots, this would have been like a 40-point blowout. So yeah, it was it was getting dicey at the end of the first quarter. He hit two, I think, to, to give him, give you know Toronto a little bit of life uh, in that quarter. And the one thing, I, I, forget the, I forget who shared it, but it's a great clip of, you know, Timer comes out and sets a screen. And then it rolls to the rim, and Gasol is in, as you talked about, in no man's land. He doesn't have the foot speed to recover to Robert Williams. Then Rob goes up for a big, huge dunk. And I think, I forget who tried to block him, but it didn't go well for the player who tried to block him. Um, and I think maybe the foot speed of Robert Williams might be a real big problem for Toronto. Oh, for I'm not sure. Much, do they go like Chris Boucher? Like, I'm not sure what they're going to do to maybe keep up with him because – it's very obvious that Brad has like identified Robert Williams as the this is the backup big we need for this series. You're not gonna see a lot of Enos Canner unless Rob does some really dumb stuff. And Rob, you know, I love him to death. He wants to block everything and sometimes that's really great. Sometimes it ends up with him trying to block three point attempts and, you know, allowing guys to fly right by him. Um but it seems like that foot speed is something that in the athleticism of Rob is something that Brad identified, you know, really quickly and said, this is something we're going to rely on in this series because, you know, it seems like right now, again, this could change. I mean, we'll see what, what, um, what Nick Nurse does to kind of combat this, but it seems like Robert Williams might be a real big problem for the Toronto bigs, in my opinion. Yeah, we. I mean, we knew coming out of the seeding games that Williams was going to be the guy in the series. We knew that mm-hmm. Cantor had to play against Philly because – Philly, uh, because you had to load up on Joel Embiid and you needed to get someone that could do some single coverage and you needed somebody that could grapple on the offensive class. But in this series, we know that you want someone that takes it, that you want a role man that is going to take advantage of the fact that Toronto gets over aggressive up on the ball. And so you want someone that you can just kind of throw it over the top to with Fred Van Vliet being the one that's helping or Kyle Lowry being the one that's helping these short guys that especially the big Celtics wings that have a huge height advantage, you can just throw it over the top to them to get it to time Lord. we saw a bunch of that kind of vertical spacing type action, whether it was on the break where they were tossing lobs from half court, which is, you know, that kind of Lakers S stuff that you never see the Celtics doing, but the Celtics have the athletes that could actually do it. And that's when they become a real title favorite is that they can do that kind of stuff, which they're just not capable of quite yet. But They'll get there soon. I mean, you know, these guys are all super young and super huge and athletic, so they'll get there. But we did see a lot of those plays where they're able to slip Time Lord through these seams and they find him. And you know, he bob him and Tice bobbled away like four passes. I think yeah. in this game that if they didn't do that or they didn't travel, they would have scored. So they left like ten points on the table that were easy points, and so this should have been a thirty point win instead of a twenty point win. But we're seeing that that Toronto can be exposed with both getting having dribble penetration that you can then quickly kick to a shooter and then swing it to a corner guy, or you can try to go over the top with some huge athletes on them. Um, and I, Rob is the key there, and especially with the second unit 
where the second unit is really relying on Tatum going off. And we've seen most games in the playoffs and in the bubble, Tatum goes off at the end of the third quarter because it's deep enough in the game. He's frustrated enough that he hasn't really been getting it, that he goes into his bag with those sidestep threes or the uh, they run the stack play where they you know get on the ball in the elbow and then he pivots and he attacks. And so we saw him get to do that in this game. And so they, I think they can. I think they figured out that they can have a late first quarter, early second quarter offense that utilizes Time Lord's ability to roll, and then they can have a late third quarter, early fourth quarter offense that takes advantage of Tatum's isolation capability. Yeah, you and I both have the Raptors, uh, or at least before the today's game happened, we both had the Raptors. You in seven and a half, and me in six. Uh, do you want to? I'll let you augment it if you'd like. Uh, yeah, I mean, clearly you have to expect the Celtics are going to win the series after that. Um, I mean, the Celtics uh, are the – Really, after one game, you're just like you're, – you're you're more convinced than ever that the Seas are just going to kind of handle Toronto. Not more convinced than ever, but, like, I mean, I, I came into it thinking this is, this is going to be dead even, and if Kyle Lowry's playing at 80%, I assume that the Raptors are going to be better, and the Celtics, they are not going to be able to get the threes that they want, and Marcus Smart and some of these other guys are going to be exposed as catch-and-shoot guys, and then all this stuff went the exact opposite direction. (laughs) And the Celtics struggle on the stuff that they're actually good at. So, yeah, I definitely think the Celtics are going to win the series at this point, especially with Pascal Siakam being completely misused and being like an afterthought in this game. So, I mean, it can change drastically, and I expect Nick Nurse to get really wild with some adjustments by Game 3, but the Celtics show that they can play a good game and win in the series. And, and we'll see. Maybe Kyle Lowry gets better and better and better as the series goes on and it slowly changes. But, um, you know, the Raptors had home court in this one. And we'll see how things change when they go to the other arena on the other side of the uh, parking lot. So, um, but, I mean, yeah, there's there's no reason to think that there is a fluke going on here. There was shooting good luck and shooting bad luck. There was some shooting good luck for the Celtics not really any for Toronto, but they were shooting bad luck on both sides. And I have the uh, I have the stat here. I I figured it out. I I believe the Toronto Raptors in the bubble against the Celtics are twenty for seventy eight from three point range. Now I would assume that's twenty six percent. I would assume that levels out a little bit as we get further into this thing. Um, but you know I I have it's like, a I, long I, way to level out though. Yeah, it is. It is. And, um, you know, Boston's been shooting the ball decently well against Toronto uh, so far. Um, and I'm with you. I, I, I just thought it would be a little more even. And, and these first two games that we've seen them play each other, one obviously to finish up the regular season and here in the first game of the postseason, I'm just – I'm still a little in shock. But I think as I think about it, I, I honestly kind of – I'm kicking myself for doing the, the classic – uh, like th- people that do the Patriots all the time or the Spurs, like, oh, they're the Spurs, you know, they'll figure some stuff out and they'll be tough, blah, blah, blah. blah. So yeah, I just have, and it was, it's only one year of it, right? It's only one year of Nick Nurse and Toronto Raptors, but I have such an utmost deep respect for that team that I was just like, ah, oh, they'll, they'll figure some things out. They'll have some, they'll be well, they'll, you know, Nick Nurse will have some tricks up his sleeve and, and Boston's going to have some tough games. But man, after this first one, after if if Van Fleet and and Lowry and Siakam all continue to struggle, which I don't think they're going to do, um, but if they all you know they can't find a way to to get some offense going, they're going to be in they're going to be in some serious trouble. And Boston's going to move on to the next round. That's yeah, going to do it for this. Well, go ahead, you finish up. I was going to say, like, don't forget, Van Vliet and Lowry are very streaky, and yeah. Powell. 
You know, they yeah. have three guards that are great, that could be great shooters. So those guys are really streaky, and they were all off in this game, so they could all be on next game, and that dramatically changes things. But we saw the Celtics go with Wanamaker, Ojale, and some Grant Williams out there as wings um, to have to you know dot you know dot the edges and not blow it. And I didn't even think they did that well, and they still survived significantly. Yeah. So yeah. I was I would have picked Hay- I would have picked the Celtics if they had Hayward. But they don't have Hayward, and that means they have to play those guys. And the fact that they're still getting by with that, that that may, that should make you very, very optimistic that this is going to hold. The best hair in the business. It's Jared Weiss from The Athletic. Thanks for joining us here today, Jared. Much appreciated. Make sure you, uh, you follow all his stuff. And I always, again, I always uh, at least mention the CNN Philippines thing because I just, every time I see a clip of that, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> I, 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 it's my favorite thing. It's one of my favorite things. Um, but appreciate it, Jared. Thanks for hopping on with us today. Uh, big thank you to you guys out there in the uh, podcast world. If you're watching this on our YouTube page, awesome. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, big shout-outs to Nick, to Larry, uh, to John, and, to, of course, to Adam. We'll be back uh, next week. It was just a little weird this week with the with the strike in the middle of the week. Uh, Adam, I didn't want to record a podcast until we knew what was going on, and you know things got a little convoluted, and, and he'll be back next week with me. And in the meantime, you guys are the best. Appreciate all the kind words you say, and we'll talk to you after probably game two or game three or figure it out with Adam. Just stay tuned with Adam.